Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. A number of you stream this show directly from the website, and that's cool, but you can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher or Windows Media. If you prefer, you can subscribe to the podcast directly via our RSS feed or receive an email whenever new episodes come out. Just head over to www.untoldpodcast.com and click on the subscribe button. It's free and it'll help you stay connected to the show. Well, this month, our old friend Justin Lomaster returns with a World War I alternative reality story, or for those of you who don't know that World War II existed yet, a Great War alternative reality story. You'll remember Justin from Episode 5, Send In, and Episode 9, Flood of Terror. Justin Lomaster is a writer and entertainer. Aside from writing science fiction, fantasy, and horror and humor, he also cracks jokes and makes bad puns. He is married and has one daughter and one son. He and his family live in the great Northwest. He enjoys gaming of all types, including computer, console, board, card, and role-playing games. He's also the community manager of Guard Frequency, the universe's premier star citizen podcast. You can find them at www.guardfrequency.com. You can find his works over at thespaceturtle.com. Follow him on Twitter at chivalrybean. That's at Chivalry Bean. This month's story was originally featured in Tales from the Front, which also featured other stories in the same Great War setting. You can purchase the book from Drive Through RPG. Just head over to our show notes for all the links. So now, without further ado, the Untold Podcast is proud to present Border Patrol by Justin Lomaster. First Lieutenant Frank Corelli looked over his straight of spades at Airman Foley, who was straight-faced for a rookie. He closed his eyes for a moment and saw Foley lay down his hand, a huge, kid-like grin on his face. Frank opened his eyes and tossed his cards face down. I fold. Airman Harrington grinned. Ah, uh, we got the big boy scared, don't we, Foley? Foley shrugged silently. Harrington squinted at Foley. You're trying to fake me out, aren't you? I see your bet, and I raise you a dollar. Foley stared at his cards for a while, then carefully put a dollar in the pot. Harrington laid his hand down with a flourish. Two pairs, kings and sevens. Can you beat that, Foley? Foley's poker face split into a giant, kid-like grin. He laid down his cards. Harrington stood up, knocking over his chair. A straight flush? He pointed at Foley, his brows crunched down and his lips curled like a burned reed. Then he stormed off. Gathering the cards, Frank set them beside his discarded hand. You've got good control, kid. Foley raked in his winnings. Thanks. How did you know? Or, or did you just have a bad hand? Frank flipped over his discarded hand. A four of a kind. Foley looked confused. So, you must have seen a tell on me or something... Frank looked at his watch. Or something, he grinned. Border isn't going to patrol itself. 
He stood, then put a dollar in Foley's hand. Wasn't anything you did, kid. In his barracks, Frank lifted his jacket off the rack. He looked over at Paul McCartan, who was hunched over his desk writing. What are you writing about this time? Paul jerked and dropped his pen. Great Christmas, Frank! You just can't not sneak around, can you? Frank pulled on his jacket. Paul turned in his chair. Ever since we were kids, and, and you've never stopped. Nelson tried to startle me on purpose, and he couldn't. You aren't natural. Frank adjusted his collar. Still upset that I always got away when we were on our escapades, huh? He grinned. Paul returned the smile. <laughs> well, that's the truth. You have a good time up there. Don't fly away to where the action with the Germans is and leave me here at boring old Fort Bliss. Frank strapped his goggles over his forehead and clapped Gut on the back. Gut turned from tuning an engine of a Sopwith camel. Hey, Frank. Your plane is ready to go. He gestured to another camel at the near end of the runway. He looked into Frank's eyes. You still getting visions? Frank nodded. Gut tightened a bolt. I still think it's a blessing, Frank. The world changed. We changed. He patted the plane and smiled. Engines still work the same, though. He wiped his hands on the cloth that hung eternally from his waistband. Use it, Frank. Look into the future. Might save your life someday. Frank looked south. What if I try to change what I see? What happens then? Gut shrugged. One way to find out. Frank nodded, then checked his sidearm and headed toward his plane. Frank banked his plane to make one more pass over the border before returning to the airfield. He looked south across the United States and Mexican border. Just south of that border was a small chasm that opened when the gates to Lycross, or the Fey World as some called it, opened. Sometimes one of the gates would open at the bottom. Frank pondered the gates and the interesting people who came from the other side. Like the ancient elf who had touched Frank's forehead and declared him a vision master. He didn't know what to think at first, but when days later he had started seeing the future, he still didn't know what to think, but at least the words made sense. But had he always had the power, now activated, or had the elf man somehow bestowed it upon him? He closed his eyes. Mexican troops marched and rode, and a few planes passed overhead. Frank opened his eyes with a start, still staring south. He banked his plane again and crossed over the invisible line between countries. The sun beat down on Frank while he scanned the landscape below for troops among the rocks and cactus. He closed his eyes again, but nothing happened. 
A glance at his fuel gauge told him he would have to turn around soon. A glint in the distance caught his eye. Tired of trying to get his mysterious power to work, he angled his plane toward the glint. As he got closer, the heat shimmer cleared up and the glint became clear. There were troops, soldiers, and vehicles marching north toward the border. He banked the plane to head back and curse as tracers shot across his bow. He veered to the left and looked up, getting an eyeful of sunlight. He squinted his eyes shut from the bright light and saw another row of tracers cut across his engine. He jammed his stick forward, ending the turn and dove. Tracers ripped up the air right where his engine would have been. Frank let loose more curses. He pulled his stick back and angled up into a climb while looking around, making every effort to find the enemy plane. Glancing back, he caught a flash of light that had to be the enemy plane. He couldn't make out what kind it was yet, but he hoped for something he could easily outmaneuver now that he knew where it was. He juked to the left and then right and then made a sharp turn to try and shake the enemy plane. Tracers shot past, but he managed to break free of the pursuit of the plane. He looked again, and now that the sunlight wasn't in his eyes, he saw the plane. Frank frowned. It didn't have German markings, but it was clearly a Fokker EI. He could easily run circles around it. He looked closer to make out what markings it did have. Odd markings were painted over the wings and fuselage. They weren't military designations he'd ever seen before. They looked foreign, even for Mexico. Maybe they were runes of some sort? Magic, he muttered. He considered how magic had moments ago likely saved his life. Still don't like it, he said to himself. He angled in for a shot and pulled the trigger. His double machine guns blurted out bullets. The Fokker dove a little and the deadly spray missed its mark. Frank looked at his fuel. He had to head back and warn of the oncoming army before running out of fuel. He knew he could outrun a normal Fokker, but what if this one could go faster with magic? Flying around and shooting would waste ammo, but he could fly higher, or he hoped he could. Using his superior agility, he pulled back on his stick and rose higher, circling to keep out of the firing arc of the Fokker. He looked to see the Fokker stop following his spiral, but instead turned into a move that wouldn't be of any advantage unless the pilot was deciding to try to shoot him with a pistol, but at this range, that wouldn't be of any use. The pilot was pointing at him, though. Frank closed his eyes for a moment, but instead of a vision, or a nothing, there was a something he couldn't make out, obscuring his magic sight. He opened his eyes to see the runes on the Fokker flash, and then a jet of blue shot from the hand of the enemy pilot. Frank tried to turn, but it was too late. The blast of blue magic hit his engine. Frank expected an explosion to see the engine shred into a million pieces. Instead, he heard the crackle of ice, and then his engine sputtered to a stop as the gasoline froze in the fuel lines. The Sopwith's climb ended, and Frank's gut jumped into his throat as he slid back toward Earth. Frank managed to coax the plane into a glide when another blast of blue struck his left wing and froze the aileron, stealing control of the plane's descent. He dropped over the army that marched northward. He heard bullets rip holes in his wings as he fell closer, but the sounds of gunshots died down just as fast as it had started, 
as he passed out of range, barely clearing an outcrop of rock and then dropping into a valley. Wrestling the controls to point the plane toward the flattest point on the ground, Frank hoped for the best. The wheels jumped and hopped up and down on the ground, and within seconds hit rocks and snapped to splinters. The fuselage ground to pieces across the ground. Frank kept his eyes open until he hit his head when the right wing hit a boulder and the plane spun around into a sudden crash of metal and stone. His shoulder hurt. Everything else hurt too, but his shoulder hurt in a special way. Why did his shoulder hurt so much? His mind tried to guess why. One of his ideas was a vulture tearing at his flesh. His eyes shot open to blinding light. Something moved in the light. Words, but confusing words. They made no sense. Pain shot into his shoulder again. Everything came into focus. A man stood on his plane, harsh words spilling out from between his bushy black mustache and the red handkerchief tied around his neck. He was jabbing Frank in the shoulder with a bayonet. Frank winced, and the man laughed, and turned to someone Frank couldn't see. The Mexican soldier pointed, still laughing. He pulled back his rifle, widening the gash in Frank's arm. He turned to look back, and his laughter stopped suddenly when he saw Frank's pistol in his face. Frank pulled the trigger, and the area under the big bushy mustache started to match the red handkerchief. Frank heard more shouts in Spanish. A sombrero appeared over the edge of the cockpit. Frank put a bullet through it. More shouting. It sounded like there were three soldiers yelling at him. Gunshots were followed by bullets striking the right side of the plane. Frank started to pull himself up in the hopes that falling over the left side of the plane would give him enough time to at least take out one more of the soldiers. Something heavy hit his shoulder, then thudded onto the cockpit floor. Frank glanced at his feet and saw a grenade. He dropped his pistol, grabbed the grenade, and threw it back out over to the right. The explosion threw rocks and shrapnel through the side of the plane, tearing Frank's skin apart. Frank pulled himself out of the plane and fell over the left side of the cockpit, landing on the wing. The wing cracked and splintered and fell to the ground along with Frank. Feeling around on the ground through the rocks and chunks of wood, Frank cursed when he realized he left his pistol on the plane. He struggled to stand. A pair of boots stepped around the plane, and one of them flew upward and knocked Frank back to the ground. The soldier stood above him, most of his face a mess of burns and cuts. He was pointing at Frank, shouting, then pointing to his right. Frank looked over to where the soldier pointed and saw the dead bodies of the other Mexican soldiers. Frank shook his head. The soldier was mad that he had killed his friends. Tough. They started it. He looked back and saw the soldier pull a knife from his belt and fall towards him. Frank raised his arm to block the knife, stopping the soldier's arm with his wrist. Frank grasped at the ground and wrapped his fingers around a piece of wood. He stabbed it into the neck of the soldier. The soldier struggled for a few moments, leaking blood all over Frank. When he stopped thrashing, Frank was able to push him off. He struggled to his feet. Then he retrieved his pistol and assessed his situation. There were 
two horses, but it looked like another one had run off. He approached them and grabbed the reins of one, but the other one bolted. Frank hoped they ran away from the army, otherwise they would likely suspect trouble. Frank hopped on the horse and followed the tracks that came to his down plane for some time, keeping an eye out for the Foker and anyone else who might be gunning for him. He closed his eyes and got a glimpse of the army just over the ridge ahead. Certain parts seemed to be obscured, possibly only certain people or items. He wasn't sure. He could make out one soldier perfectly fine, but another would be blurry or completely obscured by gray. Pondering this, he opened his eyes and found he was almost over the ridge. He needed to make sure he didn't look into the future at the expense of the present. He stopped the horse, after he tried some Mexican words when the English ones didn't work. He tossed the reins over a sturdy-looking bush and slowly peered over the ridge. Unlike in his vision, everyone was clearly visible. Hundreds of troops marched alongside troops mounted on horses. There were also trucks and some motorcycles. With just a glance, he knew the troops at Fort Bliss would be ill-prepared for an attack from the south, and especially one of this size. Upon closer inspection, many of the troops didn't have as much weaponry and gear as the others, but instead had uniforms with runes, books, and various objects that seemed to Frank to be related to magic. They looked organized. He had to get back to Fort Bliss quickly, and head of the interloping Mexican army, and Frank squinted at a small number of differently uniformed troops. Germans. The motorcycle soldier rested under the shade of the cliff wall, lighting a cigarette. He looked up from his lighter when a commotion broke out across the camp when a horse ran in without a rider. Frank saw that it was the horse he had ridden and set free. He was happy the plant it had been tied to held long enough for him to get into position. Using the distraction, he came up around a rock and got behind the cyclist and hit him over the head with a rock. The soldier didn't fall over, but just swayed in place. Frank swung again sideways and the Mexican fell over, blood turning brown in the dust. Frank dragged him into a shadowed shadow behind a rock, then kicked dust over the blood to cover it. He strapped the helmet on, then took the motorcycle by the handlebars and pushed it north. While the army organized, looking into the wayward horse, Frank slipped away, and when he decided he was far enough away to risk it, he got on the cycle and made motorized haste to Fort Bliss. Frank weaved among the cacti and rocks, using the elongated shadows cast by the prickly vegetation to keep on track for north. All his friends and fellow soldiers and the families living on the base would be counting on him, unknowingly, to get them warning in time. A shadow crossed over him and he skidded to a stop and searched the sky. The pit of his stomach yawned wide as if to swallow him from the inside. Above, a plane turned to circle. As the setting sun illuminated the wings of the plane, he sighed in relief. 
a circle within a circle was painted on the wings. From the cockpit, a light flashed in long and short bursts. F-R-A-N-K. Frank. Frank reached into one of his pockets and pulled out a mirror. It was cracked but usable for what he needed. Using the sun and his hand to shudder over the top, he replied, Yes. Hurt. No. Lost. Army. South. Worn. Bliss. Okay. Air. Land. Magic. Be. Safe. The plane banked north and headed toward the darkening horizon. Frank switched on his headlight and started northward again. The sun sunk lower still to the horizon and was moments from fully sinking into the Pacific Ocean when a burst of dust clouds erupted to his right, glowing red as blood in the twilight. Swerving away, he glanced back. A Foker, maybe the Foker from before, came up from behind him and flitted over his head. It banked around to make another pass, and the last of the sun sunk over the horizon, casting the desert into darkness. Cacti and rocks illuminated in the headlight, making beacons in the night, giving away his location. He closed his eyes and looked just ahead, seeing the ground ahead lit up by the headlamp. He switched it off. The vision of the ground ahead went dark hoping his future sight would adjust to the darkness. Instead, the vision spun into thorns and flying dust. He leaned to the left, and the vision returned to a steady motion. After a few hundred feet, his vision did adjust to the dim moonlight, and he was able to make out the rocks and cacti he would have been able to see with his headlamp. He leaned right or left to avoid them, trying to time it correctly. Frank noted the return of the Foker as bullets exploded dust into the night near him. He considered his own dust trail and decided there was nothing to be done about it. More bullets tore ahead in his future sight, shredding a cactus. Frank steered clear, even though he was fairly sure it wasn't going to hit him, as the vision didn't show signs of it like when he would have hit the cactus. While coming around a stony outcropping, the vision clouded. He felt himself squinting, which seemed entirely silly to him when he realized it. Then he felt heat. He opened his eyes in time to see a jet of blue flame from the sky pour out in front of him. Magic! He leaned hard right, but entered the edge of the flames. His arms burned in the heat. The front tire of the motorcycle hit something, and Frank tumbled over the handlebars as the motorcycle flipped and twisted. He landed hard and rolled, then his helmet struck something and everything just got a little darker. He stood up for a moment, but he stumbled, and his right foot found no purchase. He fell, sliding down for what seemed to be nearly forever. As he slipped into the darkness of his mind, over and over he thought, Magic. I can't see magic. Frank opened his eyes to a wall of harsh white. 
After blinking several times, the white formed into a stone canyon wall. He stared at it for some time as his memory of falling returned. He looked up to see the edge of the sun peering just over the side of the chasm he was in. The shadow in which he sat was sliding slowly away. The helmet, harshly dented, lay beside him, and a few yards away the motorcycle lay in a twisted metal heap. Greet! Frank turned to see a man wearing furs and animal teeth and leather. He had pointy ears. You better now. I fixed you. He held up something like a leather wineskin. Magic from home. I was here resting, waiting for moon and gate, when you nearly fall on my head in the night. I am Habadon. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll be more careful next time. I'm Frank. How long? You fell two nights ago. Frank slowly stood, a whole lot less sore than expected. Wow, whatever you did worked. It's juiced from an animal that lives in a desert where I live. Juice from a... never mind. It works good, because you got some right away before injury set in. Then Frank remembered the plane, the army, his home, and friends. He didn't understand how he could have forgotten. Did a lot of people pass by here? Yes, morning after you fell. I was hunting, heard something, found their tracks when I returned. Many hundreds, many noises, loud, explosions. I heard them too. From that way? East? Who were they? That's north. They were a Mexican army, encouraged by the Germans. Enemies? Germans? Yes. But no one expected a Mexican invasion. Moon and gate days away. I can help you get home. If I have a home left. Frank and Habadon crept through the cracked city of El Paso under the cover of night. It had become clear as they got near that El Paso had already fallen to the Mexican army. Their goal had been to get to Fort Blitz, but a series of many detours around groups of Mexican soldiers had forced them away, and they found themselves hiding behind an overturned and burning yellow Model T next to Border National Bank as a squad of soldiers were standing on the sidewalk, showing off what they had taken from the jewelry store. A window above them shattered and gunshots rang out, bullets peppering Mexican soldiers. A red Model T careened around the corner and more gunfire erupted from it. A window above the jewelry store slid up and Frank saw a Mexican soldier aiming a rifle at the red car. Frank stood and fired a few shots into the window with his pistol and the soldier fell back. From further up the street, Mexican soldiers appeared and started firing. The driver of the red Model T waved over to Frank. Get in, we gotta go! It was Airman Foley. Frank and Habadon hopped into the back as other men, three civilians and two soldiers, one of which was Paul McCurtain, ran out of the bank and got into a blue car. Frank started to shout to Paul when Foley floored it and sped past the jewelry store. Where's your pal Harrington? Foley shook his head. Frank closed his eyes, then winced as he looked down the road they were on. It was filled with fire and the blur of magic. 
Better go another way, Foley. Foley glanced at him. Oh, I didn't recognize you. You say I need to go a different way? You got a bad feeling or something? Or something. And that was our story. I hope you liked it. Sometimes our greatest talents are also our greatest blind spots. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. And remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. So as we go, please remember to subscribe to our show, join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find the show, and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, reminding you, it's juice from an animal that lives in a desert where I live.